Hey everybody, this is Nick Padiak. You're listening to I'll Be Damned. Uh, thanks for sticking with the show through some long hiatuses. I appreciate that. There's some, some big gaps between episodes here. I'm going to try to tighten those up, but, uh, you know, no guarantees. But things have been crazy and busy lately, and uh, a lot of fun things. One of the one of the good things is I, I took a trip last month in June with, uh, with my wife and a couple of friends, the Johnson brothers, Alex and Ben. Uh, we went to go see their parents, Alex and Ben's parents, in Eastport, Maine. Uh, it was a cool little town, a lot of artists and, and interesting people, and uh, did actually did a few interviews there, did a few recordings there. So the next few episodes are going to be uh, stuff that I've recorded in, in Eastport, uh, including this one today. The, the guest today is one of the hosts of our trip, Bill Johnson. That's uh, Alex and Ben's dad. He and his wife, Mary, hosted us. Uh, I've known Bill or BJ or Coach for a long time. Call him Coach because he was my little league coach, and uh, he was a great host. He's a it was a great trip overall, uh, and and had a really good time talking with him. It was it was a good good chat, and uh, the this chat represents a few firsts for me. It was it was the first interview that I've done outside for this, so you're going to hear some ambient noises. You're going to hear birds and and ocean noises and the the occasional annoying truck or motorcycle. Uh, and it was, it, this is going to be my first out of state episode. So it was, a, it was a fun time. Um, the podcast is now on iTunes, Stitcher and Google play, and you can also listen to it on my website. So if you like this, uh, go ahead and, and tell everybody that you know that it, that it's, it's the bee's knees. It's the best thing, you know, and, uh, go ahead and, and rate the show on iTunes. I think you could do it on Stitcher too. And if not, then just figure out a way to do it and, and shout it from the rooftops. I would appreciate it. Uh, if you want to contact me, I am on Twitter at npadiak. And, uh, thanks as always to Alex Johnson, the, the road trip companion and the, the son of today's guest, Bill. And uh, he, oh, Alex did the, the cover art, and uh, Matt Pickett did the I'll Be Damned theme song. And so here it is. Enjoy my chat with the coach, Bill Johnson. I've known you since probably third grade. Mm, I think that's a safe yeah. bet. And you've known my dad for longer than that. I have indeed. Can I hear that story? Uh, God. He was just part of the bar scene back in the 80s that I recall. Or maybe even earlier than that, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And it was just a a group of people that just their paths cross, you know, here and there, this house, that house, this party, that party. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we just, I mean, we knew each other. We weren't great, fast friends or anything mm-hmm. for no other reason than just distance. And, sure. But, yeah, I ran across him many times in many nefarious yeah. <laughs> situations. And that was in St. Charles? Oh, St. Charles, Geneva, Batavia. Okay. Yeah, so, did you have you uh, did you grow up in St. Charles? Yes. Born yeah. and raised. Born and raised. Okay. Yeah. How was that? Uh, you know, just it was a very normal childhood. Uh, um, St. Charles was kind of the last bastion of civilization before you hit real corn country going mm-hmm. west. But it was a bit pretty big town, and uh, with the Tri Cities, it was a very active you know, lively place, so it was 
perfectly normal to me. Yeah. So yeah. did you have? Did you start playing music early? Yeah, I started playing. My dad started me. There were all these instruments around the house. He was a working musician, mm-hmm. and there was. He always had odd stuff. I remember there, there was this old accordion. He couldn't play it, but we had one. And it was up in the attic, and I just, I'd sneak up in the attic and bring it down. And it was just something to make noise with yeah. when I was little, little. But then I realized you could make music with it if you paid attention to what you were doing. Yeah. And there was that's one of the things. And he was... he. He played, you know, a couple of nights a week. So okay, so you say he's a, he was a working musician. Yeah. Was that his gig? That he was he was just no, a he, musician. He had a daytime job. He was a laborer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was his that was his real love and his fun. And he always played with at least a four piece group. He was a tenor sax player, and hmm. he played with a rhythm section. They were all good friends, and you know, like yeah. they were like a a garage band today, but they actually had really working gigs and played regularly and got paid for it. Yeah. And, um, so that's been a part of your life as long as you can remember. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was always some kind of music going on in the house. Um, uh, we had we had the, the big hi-fi, sure. the great big piece of furniture in yeah. the house and albums everywhere. And um, there were always, like I said, there was always instruments out because... Um, if he got some idea, he would just grab it and go into a bedroom and work out a, a riff or a lick or work on a tune. Um, so, I, yeah, I always had that in my head. And did you gravitate to the guitar pretty early? No, no. I didn't gravitate to the guitar until it was about, well, I remember exactly when I was 16. And uh, <clears throat> um, our madrigal in high school... Uh, won a trip to Europe. There was some goofy contest that this guy in Itasca put together that he was going to invite a bunch of variety acts to this audition. And he was going to put together a troupe of players, actors, different various acts. Mm -hmm. A really wide and odd combination. And he was going to take him to Europe for 32 days. Oh, my God. That's not just a little... Oh, no. Hey, you want no, a it, trip to... It was know, a big wow. deal. Yeah. And so our... The guy's name was Russ Forkins. And he, he had something... Good name. He had something to do with the community center in town. He's a real active community guy. A really, really good guy. And I remember that we were in rehearsal at the high school one night. And... Uh, Russ came in and said, gave the news to our director, Jim Gaddy. He said, there's this opportunity, and I just want to put it to you here. He says, there's this contest, and you have to audition in Itasca. They're going to audition, you know, 40, 50 acts. And the one that's, one of those acts is going to win a free trip to Europe. And so Jim went, hmm, all right, we'll go, we'll try that. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we put a, you know, I don't know, three, four song set together and rehearsed that. When you say we, how many people are we talking? Sixteen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sixteen, eight girls, eight guys. Got it. Okay. 
and uh, <clears throat> and so we got this all rehearsed and we went to this I think it was a school or a community center I don't remember quite a while ago in Itasca and we spent about an hour watching other acts everything from baton twirlers accordion players uh, there was a a couple of folk groups and it was my first real look at live in-person folk music at that point mm -hmm. um, just every manner of weird it was like a talent just show just like a talent show yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it was like like the Star Wars bar talent show <laughs> and, and and we were probably the most peculiar act because here's 16 voices singing um, old English madrigals yeah and so we got up and did this thing and I was just going God there's no chance they're going to pick us yeah well the following week or two weeks after we were back in St. Charles at the high school rehearsing and Russ Forkins walks in, hands Jim Getty this piece of paper, and Jim opens it up and he's kind of reading it to himself and he goes, no way. And he looks at everybody and goes, we're going to Europe, <laughs> free. And we just went, what? <laughs> no shit. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was free, but they were planning on maybe a single or a duo or maybe a quartet yeah. giving it away and he goes, well we can't exactly foot the bill for this whole yeah. deal for you guys so um we had to do a bunch of fundraisers and what have you mm. uh, which we did and uh yeah and i wasn't even 16 at the point at that point it, it was my sophomore summer and next thing i know we're on BOE, boac airlines heading to london and for the next 32 days, we uh, traveled all over Europe. All around? Yeah. Performing? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think we had, oh gosh, eight or ten performances wow. throughout the thing. Um, went to London and Amsterdam, Paris, Milan, Cologne, Germany, Lucerne, Switzerland, Geneva, Switzerland, Monaco, um... And then, on our way back, we were scheduled to do the New York World's Fair, hmm. and we—I mean—we had a gig set up to do that. Um, unfortunately for many, and fortunately for me, um, we were flying from France, from Paris, back to London to pick up our return flight home um, to get to the the gig in New York, and uh, as we're the bus is bringing us to the airport. We see this BOAC airline take off, and I made the smart-ass remark to go, oh, that is our plane. <laughs> it was our plane. How'd you miss that flight? Uh, Lost just, in translation? Yeah, just missed it. Yeah. And back then, they only had one flight a day from London to New York. Yeah. So you had 60-some people in a sheer state of terror yeah. that, that they weren't going to get home. And they asked, I mean, this was a big deal. It took hours to get this settled, but um, it finally came down. Everybody got in one room and said, okay, we've got a flight tomorrow, the next day, the next day. He says, we can take 30-some of you tomorrow 
20 some of you the second day and four of you are going to have to stay a third day do i have any volunteers to stay to go leave on the third day and i got my hand up his face to say <laughs> i was the youngest guy in the whole troop yeah <clears throat> and um the other three people were three of the uh this folk singing quartet and there was no no chaperones and jim getty our director looked at me and went, mm, you are the last person I want to leave unchaperoned. He says, however, and, and girl, everybody, people were just crying because they were going to be late. And yeah. They would be, oh, we're going to miss this, we're going to miss this. And I was going, oh, baby, let me miss this. Yeah. And so we had to make a phone call. Getty had to make a phone call to my parents to get the okay to do it. And I was going, oh, come on, come on, come on, Dad. <laughs> I knew my mother was going to go, oh, no, he's got to be home. Yeah. My dad would go, eh, probably do him some good. <laughs> and uh, we got it cleared. And the coolest thing, well, that was that was the coolest thing. Yeah. But we had, uh, it was everything was paid for because um, it was BOAC's screw-up. So they put us up. It was in their screw-up yeah. that you guys yeah. missed that flight. Yeah. Okay. Because right. we were, we flew, flew uh uh, BOAC every place there and the plane leaving Paris to London was late and the bus that was their bus got us to uh, the other side of the terminal it. too late. Okay. So they they own that. screw up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah we got they put us up in this really really nice hotel in London um, and we had uh, I mean BOAC just gave us cash <laughs> <clears throat> for food, and we could travel anywhere we wanted in the city. And that's the coolest thing I've ever. That's oh, it was like awesome. that's a kid's dream. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. It was. What is this? This is the sixties. Um, Late sixties. Yeah, sixty-four. Oh, mid sixties. We're talking swinging sixties oh, yeah. here in London. Yeah, right Beatles, We're talking Austin Powers. Beatles just came out. Wow. So, yeah, it was, it was absolutely awesome. Yeah. And. There were one of the landman boys, I don't remember if it was Rick or Dave, was part of this quartet. And then the, the two girls that sang in this quartet were um, two of the other ones that stayed. Mm -hmm. And as luck would have it, this girl who I had a mad crush on ah. was one of them. All right. <laughs> so everything worked out yep. just dandy. Thank you so very much. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it was quite a quite a deal. And so, how did that lead to you playing guitar? Just so happens, it's one of the reasons I had a crush on this girl is she was a guitar player, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and she was really good at it. And I was fascinated by the whole folk thing, and she offered to teach me how to play guitar. So um, that's where I really first picked it up in London. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, during the trip. We got yeah. to know each other during the trip. So um, I hung out with those four almost exclusively because they were, they were like seniors in high school. And I was, the, I was like the little brother. Yeah. So they kind of took care of me and put me under their wing. And yeah. 
And I had a guitar teacher in the process. Yeah. And it was just, it was great fun. It was great fun. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. So, so were you able to pick up the guitar pretty quickly? Um, yes and no. Um, it's when you first start that, you're, you're getting your finger positions is really clumsy, but right. I got it. And I, you know, I had enough musical sense that I knew when it was right and I knew when it was wrong. And, um, and she, you know, gave me a chord chart and this and that. And so, it, you know, it just took a little while to get the dexterity down. But yeah. Was, but as soon as you did it, were you like, yeah, this is it. This oh, yeah. is for me. Yeah. yeah Felt I knew, comfortable. I knew it was good because I was formally trained on clarinet and saxophone. Hmm. And the times being that what they were, clarinet and saxophone weren't the key to the city. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I decided this is this is going to be, I'm going to play this yeah. as long as I can, and it'll be fun. And you're still playing it. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So you played it all through the rest of high school. Did you play in any bands? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. We played in the, the obligatory garage bands. Um, we had a high school band, or a, a band in high school called The Nobleman. Mm-hmm. And back then, particularly in that Tri-City area, um, there were probably four or five fairly well-known, you know, high school kid bands, mm-hmm. and they all patterned themselves after somebody. And we had the Revengemen out of uh, Batavia, and they were or Geneva, and they were Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't, oh gosh, the names escape me. There was another one that was kind of yard birdie and oddball, and we went. Beatles, Harmony, and some Stone stuff, but mostly we we had good vocals in it, and that's the thing that I really really liked. Yeah. And and I mean we'd have battles of the bands. There'd be one every two weeks, mm-hmm. and it would be always the same four bands. <laughs> and if we went to Geneva, the Revengement would kick our butts. If they came to St. Charles, we'd beat the crap out of them. You know, it was just. But it was fun. Yeah. And it was great fun. And we played a couple of pretty cool places. Um, we got booked at a, at a joint in, oh, it's uh, up by Crystal Lake or McHenry called The New what, the new Place. Yeah, The New Place. And they had bands like The Flock and The Crying Shames that used to be their headliners. And uh, we got it. No, this was before those guys. Sounds in Motion. I remember seeing this band. It was a horn band. Mm-hmm. And I went, wow, these guys are good. Well, we got booked to play with Sounds in Motion. Hey. And I was just absolutely having <laughs> Yeah, it was really, really big. I mean, it was big time with stages and lights and stuff yeah. like this that, were, that you didn't have to bring. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like, yeah, it was cool. And so you've been basically playing in bands ever since, right? Yeah, yeah. Just I, hopping from one to the other? Yeah, I... After high school, I, I got I got away from the rock and rolly sort of stuff and, and got into more folky stuff. And in the late '60s, I I liked the coffee house scene, mm-hmm. and I was just doing solo stuff, and that was fun. Yeah. Um, and you could I mean it was just so easy. You could you know guitar, little amplifier, microphone, boom, yeah. you're in. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, I sit, I, I've sat and I've listened to music with you, yeah. and you just you go to other places when you're listening to music, when you're listening to good music that you yeah, really I, like. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, uh, I can do. you can you talk about that? Can you put that into words? I I don't think I've ever really seen anybody uh, who's not high, you know, get get super into music like you do, just kind of eyes closed and feeling it. It's yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just it has, a, and I'm sure every musician probably has the same feeling I don't know if they could, I can put it into words but it's, it's just some place you go that is not that the audience doesn't necessarily get to go with you you know you they get to see the whole deal and it's not an or truly it's not an act when I it just kind of carries you away and you get caught up in it and even now um Almost all the time, when I if I'm on stage, uh, I sing with my eyes closed because I don't. I'm, and, and when the show's over, people say, "Oh, did you see this?" Or did you? I, I have no idea. And, and I, honest to God, I couldn't tell you what the set list was when the show's over. I have no idea. Mm. It's like I completely left <laughs> my conscious body, and when it's over, I, I don't have any recollection of it. It's a it's a very weird thing. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember when that sort of when that started happening to you? When it I think really... it. I remember when I was a little kid, or you know, seven eight, when I was learning to play, and I was I used to practice. I remember when I first got my clarinet. Um, my dad he played that and saxophone also. That's why I got probably why I got him. I wanted to be a drummer, and that was pretty much the kibosh put on that right <laughs> away um but i would it wasn't unusual for that first summer to practice eight hours a day just because it was this magic thing you could make the sound and and if you practiced it got better <laughs> and and it just kept getting better and better and sometimes it's a plateau but then you hit this another this other stride and it keep getting better and it was yeah it was really seductive to do that because yeah. it was real personal and it was mine and nobody could screw with it you know mm. and that seems like it's been a constant in your life yeah it has and I, I tried to make some <laughs> honest to god I tried to make some sense out of it when we came out here because uh when we first moved out here, um, I was kind of trying to convince myself that I wanted to quit doing it. Not for any reason, I just wanted to do something else. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any bad vibe about it or bad feeling. Or, but I've been with the, the Liars for the last 12 years and, um, and another band prior to that for 10. And I just... I just wanted to take a break from it, and I wanted to step back and get out of it. And and I I told Mary I said you know this I I'm I'm looking forward not to doing this. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of looked at me like uh huh. <laughs> and I well no really and she uh huh we'll, we'll see. And in the newspaper uh, she was reading something one day and she said hey they've got auditions for this chorus. I, I think you ought to do that. 
And I said, no, I really don't want to do that. I said, I'm kind of done. I just want to, I don't know what I want to do, but I don't think I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And another week went by and she was flipped through the next week's paper and she goes, did you read this article? I said, no, it wasn't. It's just, oh, he's listing some of the pieces they're going to do and uh, a lot of them are going to be all you know, morally and motivarily madricals. And I just went, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, when is it? She goes, tonight. She goes, I think you ought to go. And I went, I'm just going to go and sit and listen. And To the auditions? Well, yeah, to the auditions, just kind of sit there and see what's going on. Because yeah. I, I was, I mean, I, this was a brand new place for yeah. me. And I, I didn't know anybody. And I, I, part of it was a little apprehension. And part of it was my, what I thought was my resolve to get a step away <laughs> from it. Right. Um, but I walked in and it was just a really nice community feel. And... Uh, the director said, "Are you here to audition?" I said, "Well," he says, "Well, what what voice do you sing?" And I said, "Well, I'm a tenor." And he goes, "Oh, thank God!" And he handed me the, this folder full of music, and I went, "Well," uh, <laughs> and it was like, a, "Okay, I can't can't, can't I, turn back can now." Can I turn back now or not? I, <laughs> and I flipped through it, and I went, "Oh my God!" Look. And I because I didn't know what kind of stuff they were going to do, and not to be an elitist I just didn't want to do powder puff crap you know I didn't want to do kumbaya and stuff like this in the community sink but this was all this was all big big boy stuff and I went this might be fun and so I sat and listened to his little pitch and his his he had some pretty good street cred as a conductor and player and I went yeah, I'll give this a, a shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and I, and as a result of that, and my absolute resolve to get out of this musical thing, <laughs> um, I I sing with this young lady. We do I don't know how many shows. You know, we play whenever we get a chance. Um, I've got a, a men's quartet that plays at events around here three, four times a year, and I've been directing a, a mixed octet um, for our Quaddy Voices concert, so I'm I'm way deeper in it than I've yeah, ever been. it looks been. like you did a great job getting yeah, out of it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it worked out so well. Well, really, thinking back on it now, do you think that you could have left it, that you could have just not done it? I, some some days I think yes, but I think there would have come a day when I just had to get back and do something because it's it's too strong a pull, um, and it's not the performance of it that I find most gratifying. I I really love the rehearsal part of it. I, I like starting with absolutely nothing and watching that evolve and all of a sudden becoming something that's just the way you wanted it then that's <clears throat> that's the really satisfying part of it for me the, the performance thing is strictly because I when I perform I, I don't know what the hell I've, right. I've done when I'm done with it um, 
so it's it's not the performance part of it that's really my my satisfaction. It's it's uh, putting everything together and working it and massaging it and rehearsing it to get it to now. Now it's right. Now that's good. And if we do it once and do it right, I don't care if we ever do it again. To be honest with you. And it drives my quartet crazy. Go, oh, well, okay, we got this gig. Well, well, we can pull these old songs. So now let's learn some new stuff. Oh, really? I said, oh, yeah. Why would we Why would we keep rehashing the old stuff? I said, let's learn some new stuff. Okay. <laughs> and have you always been like that? Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, that's one of the really boring things to me is just to keep playing your jukebox over and over. And I'm, The liars got a little lazy but it wasn't so much lazy we just uh, the three of the other the other three guys in the band were all 25 years younger than me they all had kids they all had way more involved lives than I did you know my kids were out of school and out of the house and I had a little easier go of things so I understood their inability to well, if we practice three times a week, <laughs> we can do this. And they just didn't have that capability, yeah. and I realized that. So we, but yeah, I, given my druthers, um, we'd never play the same show twice. Mm. But it's unrealistic in so many ways. Yeah. So we've talked about playing guitar, but what, mm-hmm. what about singing? When did that? You're obviously a singer. When did that come into play? I How? guess I've always done that. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't remember not doing it. Um, um, I, I was always in a, I mean, in, in junior high they had a choir, and I went, mm, I'm, I'm too small for football, and I'm a terrible basketball player, and I can't hit a baseball out of my shadow. And, <laughs> and wow, there's girls here. <laughs> so, hmm. Let's go this route, <laughs> and it was fun. And I've I've always yeah I've, I've always done it. Mm-hmm. And and part of uh, when I was in high school, our, our madrigal director, <coughs> excuse me, um, really he 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 was very much like the uh, director for our chorus right now. Um, he was very aggressive with his uh, or ambitious with his, his musical selections. So it was never boring. It was difficult stuff that took concentration, took work, but when it was done, it was really, really satisfying. And that's that's why I like the rehearsal thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, it's a really nice process. So there are some people who um, They would, they appreciate the finality. I, I talked to a guy who was a who was a psychiatrist for mm. blind veterans uh, for this for this podcast, and he does he crochets or not crochets he uh, 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 cross stitches mm-hmm. cross stitches, and he said that he he really liked the the finality of it because mm-hmm. as a psychiatrist you're never really done your work's never done mm-hmm. but for this mm-hmm. you do something and you say boom mm-hmm. that's done it's mm-hmm. as good as it's going to be and it's mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. It seems like you really appreciate the finality of we got this down. Yeah, and I mean, there's never really you can, if you're lucky, you can do it the best you've ever done it. But 
And that's what you try to do. You never get it as good as it could be. For you know, you'll never get it that way. But you, but the best you can do is the best you can do. And depending on the ensemble that you're working with, you know the limitations. I know mine. I know his. I know hers. I know hers. And once you get to the point where that's is. I really believe that's the best this is ever going to be. Um, then I'm happy because mm -hmm. I mean you can't expect you can't expect too much, but you if, if you surround yourself with pretty good talent, you're going to get some pretty good results if you, you know, if you work toward it. Mm -hmm. And and that's the fun part is to get. Um, I, it seems like I've always had somebody who's kind of on the edge of, you know, uh, I'm not, I can't do this, but yeah, you can, come on, come on, come on, come on, give it a little push. And once, once they overcome that little step, and that, now you know that that's the best you're going to get. And, and that's, that's fine with me. I'm, I'm absolutely happy with that. And then the fun thing is if you have to do it or get to do it again, is can you repeat that? And that, I guess that's the one, the really, really wonderful thing about playing with the liars, because we had just absolute trust in each other. And um, if somebody, you know, walked a, if we were standing on a street corner and somebody said, "Sing this song," we'd have no fear of, "Give me a C, we'll do it," mm -hmm. you know, and we just nail it because we. We were well rehearsed enough uh, that we could pull that off at any time, and it'd probably be close to as good as we could ever do it. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's that's nice. That's a pretty that sort of confidence is is, is a nice thing to have. Do mm -hmm. you have that in other aspects of your life too? No, no. That I guess that's why I like music. It's something I feel I have some degree of control over. Um, yeah, I don't. Confidence isn't one of my strong suits. <laughs> it really isn't. I I pretty much live in terror most of the time. <laughs> well, first of all, that surprises me, and I'd like to come back to it. But I remember the other night I heard you talking with Katie inside about performance anxiety. Mm -hmm. When did that come about? I guess the first time I I remember it. I've had two really creepy occasions. <laughs> Um, on stage, and um, one of them uh, was with the Madrigal, and we were performing at some some event, someplace. Are we talking high school Madrigal? Yeah, it was okay. high school. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I just passed out, crumpled into a heap right in the middle of a song. Were you locking your knees or something? I have no idea. Yeah. But I just went down like a bag of <laughs> a bag of hammers and went out cold. Huh. And the next time we played together, I was absolutely terrified that that was going to happen again. And I got, I was so scared in the middle of this performance that I walked off the stage because I, I was afraid I was going to do it again. Um, and my director, she said, cut it out. You know, just, you just quit it. And I tried to tell him, I'm, this scares me. And he, you know, he didn't know how to deal with that, and I didn't either. And he said, just suck it up, buttercup. You know? 
So I did, I guess, and you know, it was fine. The other one was uh, was doing a, a stage, uh, a play or a musical, and I came off stage. I had to make a very quick costume change, and the the sport coat that was critical to this next set of dialogue because it was loud and mm-hmm. whatever it wasn't where it was supposed to be. So, like a numbnuts, I ran downstairs to where all of the costumes were stored, couldn't find it on the rack, ran upstairs, the other side of the stage, couldn't find it on that side of the stage, and I couldn't go behind, so I had to do the whole run back to get back to my entrance, came out, got up to this podium, and started to sing my song, and I was out of breath, and... (laughs) The next thing I knew, no, I'm falling backwards off the podium. Because you... Because I was winded, out of breath, yeah. and panicked, and I just fell <laughs> right on my ass. And, yeah, that got... It was one of the biggest laughs I ever got on stage, because nobody thought it was an act. <laughs> um, yeah, that, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it seems the, the older I... Uh, the older I've gotten, I, the more the more anxiety I have um, performing. How it, does and it's, it drives me crazy? It's really uncomfortable. How does it manifest itself? Do you, uh, it it starts about two weeks before the show, uh, up to up through the rehearsals, whatever. I am good to go, but when it gets when I see that light. And not at the end of the tunnel, but that <laughs> stage light. Yeah. Uh, and it's usually a week and a half, you know, prior. Um, I just, I just start to get fearful of what's going to happen, and I have, I mean, the just ridiculously bizarre fears, you know, <laughs> I mean, like bad dream fears mm. of things that are going to happen, that this is going to start on fire. <laughs> You know, or, I mean, just ridiculous, couldn't possibly happen uh, scenarios. But they start running through my head. And it's, it's, um, it got to the point where it was almost debilitating. And I talked to my doctor about it because it was really, because otherwise I I was fine. And he said, (laughs) and, over the course of about five years, we finally put a put a uh, an end to it. And he said, "You have, you know, episodic anxiety. That's I kn- we know what it's based on, um, but you also have some other mm, kind of similar issues that you've explained to me. So I've got this little happy pill. It's just a very mild." Uh, I think it's a serotonin inhibitor. Mm. And he says, it's not going to hurt you. It's not Xanax or this or that. It's just, he says, just take this. It says, just takes the burrs off the edge of stuff. And uh, I, he gave me 30 of them. It lasted me two years. Mm. You know, so I, it's, it's fun. If I, when I get to that point where, uh, I mean, it, what, one of the other manifestations is I, when it's really bad, I, I'm totally agor- agoraphobic. 
I will not go out of the house. And, um, yeah. But this this has solved the problem entirely, so. Do you still have to take the pill when you go on, sometimes, before you go Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, yeah, if it's, like, uh, this last time I didn't, which was a nice step in the right direction, and I had to do some solo work with a string quartet and a full uh, chorus behind me. But I was, I liked the piece of music so much that it didn't bother me. And I, I was pretty confident in the whole thing. But the time before that, I had to do a solo that um, I wasn't so sure of, and I, I was really, really twisted in the wind with it, and I just popped one of those, and I was fine. Nice. I, you know, better living through chemistry. Sure. <laughs> so the lack of confidence, that really surprises me. Uh, yeah. You, I don't know, I think it's, you're, you're a witty guy, you're a, you're a gregarious mm. fellow, uh, life of the party sort of a guy, so that, can you talk about, can you talk about that? Like, I, I don't know where it came from. I, I really don't. It, it, I was never, I, it, even, I mean, back in high school and after high school and college when I was doing shows and, and you know, had, you know, major lead parts in them, uh, Nathan Detroit and, uh, no shit. Yeah. Uh, guys and dolls mm-hmm. um, and a big production of it I mean I could professional production of it or yeah like, I, really? I, I, I could do that shit in my sleep mm-hmm. you know I just ate it up uh, and there was like 300 and some um, sp- you know speeches in that in that part I was either singing or talking I was in that thing all the time it never phased me and then but it, it seems like the last maybe 15 years some something happened and I, it just it was just painful not painful that's not a, that's that's an overstatement it was just an anxiety that was I, I couldn't get rid of I couldn't work my way through it um, I couldn't stop worrying about it and no matter there wasn't enough practice time in the day to get it to where it would solve the problem because I'm I'm generally pretty well prepared. Well, I'm always well prepared. I like to think because uh, I rehearse. Uh, but there's just there was just something going on, and I I, I, I sought the doctor's help. I said I, I don't know what to do about this, mm-hmm. and you know, short of sending me to a you know a psychiatrist or something, he says try this. He says I, it sounds like just a general anxiety thing, and mm-hmm. we can, I can fix that. And so you said that when it got really bad, it would you'd sort of be agoraphobic, mm-hmm. borderline agoraphobic. Mm-hmm. So did it did it bleed into your non-performance life mm-hmm. in other ways too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there'd be times during those pre you know two weeks prior to something um, where I'd go to the store because I needed something, and I'd sit out in front of the store in my car going, oh, "I really don't need that," and then I'd go home. Mm-hmm. Then I'd sit at home going, oh, "I really should have got that." I get in the car and I go back to the store. I go, gosh, I really should go get that, but ah, I can I can do without that. And I go home and I go, oh Jesus, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> go get it or don't. You know, yeah. make up your mind. And and my doctor and I la- I mean laughed about it because it su- seems like such an odd thing. But um, yeah, once we did this, it seemed to 
iron it all out. And That's good. All's good. Yeah. Mm. So, a couple things before we move on. I'm inter- I'm curious about how you moved. What brought you to Eastport, first of all? Well, but before that, I'd like to talk. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. But before that, I'd like to talk about uh, keep talking with music. Do, do you write your own music? Mm. I I write my own instrumental music. I am maybe the worst lyric writer uh, as far as being prolific. Um, everything. <laughs> everything I write is god awful. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, it's just—it's like the worst possible lyrics you can write. Do you think that's true, or do you think that's your lack of confidence? That I just—I don't to know. Earlier? I don't know. Yeah. Um, if it's—if I just want to write some song, you know, uh, if I have a focus, <laughs> you know, it's—it's—I I wrote this. I heard this song once um, that this folk guy did, and it was, I thought, that, that'd be a really good song if you had put some decent lyrics to it. The guitar part's spectacular. The words suck. And so I took his thought, and I wrote my own words to it, and it, I loved it. It was a really nice piece of music. Um, I, I, a woman asked me to... to uh, she was getting married, and she wanted to sing at her own wedding, but wanted me to accompany her. And she had written this song. And she goes, you can change anything you want in it. And I went, oh, no, I won't change anything. You wrote this. This is... And about an hour later, I had it pretty much rewritten. <laughs> I said, God, this is awful. I said, is this better? And she goes, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> um, it, it's not... I don't get... I, I don't find any joy in, in really in writing... The, Lyrics. Yeah. Um, I, I I like the instrumental part of it. I like the sound structure. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that's what pulls my trigger a little bit. Yeah. I don't I don't care. I'm not a real. I won't say I'm not a word guy, but um, there's tune guys and word guys. I've been told, and I'm I'm a tune guy. Mm. Gotcha. <laughs> so this is this other question that I've got about music. I think it'll kind of lead into talking about your life and getting you to Eastport and everything. You were playing, you were playing some pretty big gigs. You mm-hmm. were doing mm-hmm. you know, big theater, professional theater uh, mm-hmm. stuff. Did you have ambitions? Were you like, no. I'm, I'm going to be a rock and roller? No, I never, I, I, I don't have, no, I never had any, I would say I didn't have any aspirations. I mean, when I was a kid, I went, okay, that'd be really fun to do. Um, and, once I realized how well I was going to be able to play guitar, I, I knew that those aspirations were done. You mean like the ceiling of it? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. And I'm I'm lazy mm-hmm. um, when it comes to that. I don't want to practice very much. Um, so I never really cared. Uh, I'll practice the heck out of, of, you know, songs that we're working on this and that. Um, but... As far as you know, trying to be a big, and I never, I never wanted to do that. I yeah. just, yeah, there was other things to do. I mean, what other things to do? Oh, I don't know, but I, that just seemed like a, <laughs> it seemed like a lot of work. And I and 
and I could blame it on a lot of things that would just be bullshit. I could say, well, you know, I didn't want to get caught in that, you know, abyss of drugs and rock and roll and, you know, crazy women. Uh, that would have been heaven, but I just, yeah. I was just lazy. I just didn't, I didn't want to, it was a lot of work to do that. Yeah. You know? And there was a lot, I mean, when I listen to guitar players and I listen to myself, I go, okay, there's reasons he's there and there's a reason I'm not. Yeah. And, and it would have just been a, an exercise in futility to try to reach that, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. You know? I do. So, all right, so you were in St. Charles. Mm -hmm. You don't have ambitions to be the next uh, uh, Keith Richards. Uh, no, no. You, go off, you go to college. Where do you go to college? I went to a junior college in Crystal Lake. Okay. Um, I, was, I was just a, a, a bar band player and just kind of kicking around and really doing nothing important. And I didn't really care mm. uh, and I, I realized you know I probably should find some real work because <laughs> this isn't exactly getting things done and I was I liked the outdoory sort of thing and I but I also liked money and I uh, I remember sitting in this friend of mine's apartment he had just gotten this college catalog and I was flipping through it and I said hmm no, and, I, and I had just taken up golf hmm. for because you could piss away after doing it easy just doing that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah so I there was a this school that had uh, a program and it was a two year I mean a full two year program and, and golf course management I don't know how to go do that sounds like fun. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I, I started there, and I was 31 when I started, a non-traditional age student, <laughs> to say the least. And I was a terrible student in high school. I mean, I was just the worst. I hated it, hated everything about it. Um, I liked the social aspect of it. I spent most of my time in the choir room, in the band room, and hid there most of the time <laughs> when my other classes were. So, uh, yeah, I had some catching up to do, and I was pretty much scared to death to go to school. Uh, and I did, and I found that I really, really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I discovered an amazing thing. If you study... You'll pass tests, <laughs> and, and your teachers will like you, and they'll try to help you. And so I actually I graduated with honors with a 3.96. Hey, look at you. Yeah. Couldn't get that last point oh four. Oh, huh? I'm, nah. I'm still looking for that speech teacher that gave me a B. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Come Isn't on. that the one? The sp of course. Speech. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. his or her name? I don't. Oh, I we don't. Can it's a good thing. It's a, shame it's that a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'd hunt her down. <laughs> give her the beating that she, she so richly deserves. It's the only B I got. <sighs> Pissed me off. Anyway, um, yeah, and, and it was kind of a funny fast track. It was back in the mid 80s when. The golf business was really, really taken off, mm -hmm. and I got a job immediately. And within a couple of months, I was uh, an assistant superintendent. And within a couple of years, I had my own course, and yeah. uh, th that was being built. And so I got to build it from the ground up. Um, 
with the architect. And uh, yeah, and I, I stayed in that business for hmm, probably the next 30 years in one capacity or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when you went back to school, you had kids at that point, mm, right? Mid-80s? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Yeah, I went to. I started in '81, okay. and Ben was born in '83. All right. So yeah. So you had already been with Mary. How'd you meet mm -hmm. her? Um, at a bar. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Looking at you, I would yeah, never guess. No, you'd no, I know, I know. It surprises a lot of people. <laughs> um, no, there was a place. That, actually, I attended bar there for while I was going to school. Um, and it was the place to be. It was the happening spot because we took the jukebox out of there, mm. and the music was the responsibility of the bartenders. Ah, uh, sure. So it was a, it was our party every Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. Actually, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is when the three of us used to. Get, the owner just gave us. He goes, I don't even want to come in here. I don't want to see what happens. Don't get the place closed down. Uh, and we made him a buttload of money. And nice. we had fun. Yeah. And he, he bought us a very nice stereo system. Uh, Bose 901 Series 3 speakers all over the place. And back then that was the cat's ass. So <laughs> th that place that place was fun. And that's where we met. And, yeah. And we... Uh, yeah, we got together in 1976 and got married five years later and still are. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then how did you end up in Genoa? Um, Genoa was during my <laughs> my blue golf course period. <laughs> <laughs> I had left, uh, I, I was at a country club, a very nice country club, and as an assistant, and I needed, I was time for me to get it move out on my own mm. and there was this opening at this place out in Genoa and I took it and it was just a disaster mm. I mean I was I was used to um, absolutely absolutely top-notch equipment budget um, more people on the labor force than needed mm. uh, got everything you wanted and I got a really really serious dose of reality on a golf course that was barely operating on a shoestring um, a quarter of the people uh, and an owner that was just an idiot I mean ch truly an idiot um, treated everybody like crap and didn't care and I went well <laughs> Gee, I wonder why your business sucks. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we moved out. To, actually, we moved out there because it was close to the course. Mm -hmm. And uh, stayed there for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the last five or six years there, we were looking for a place to retire. Just We'd vacation in northern Minnesota and Wisconsin. We liked the north where it's not yeah. so hot. Because you're crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And... Uh, we just couldn't find the right place, you know? It was just one of those things. We're the kind of people that we look at every pumpkin in the patch before we spend that $2, <laughs> yeah. You know? And so she said, well, we, we honeymooned in Maine. Let's go take a look. So long story short, we spent the next year and a half making 
you know, four day, three day, or four day or a week trip, uh, length trips out here, just looking around. And, uh, and we came across this place and went, okay, let's do that. Mm. And it was, it was an odd, half of my friends thought it was absolutely insane. And it wasn't just to move to the, an island off the coast of Maine. It was, why would you leave? And I just said, why wouldn't I? I've lived here for 30 years. I've, it's time for something different. And the other half said, oh, that's a great idea. You're, that's really a good, bold move. You know. uh, so, yeah, it's been, a good, it's been a good move. So why, what about this place? Why did you come and say, yeah, yeah, this place? Pig in a poke. Um, we looked around at, at various places. We drove around the state a couple of times. And, um, it, we spent a few days, well, actually, we spent a couple of months here. Um, and <laughs> I guess that's a pretty interesting tale. Um, we realized that coming out for three or four days was getting nothing done in the real estate market because you see 10 houses and then you fly away and go god well we forgot to ask her about this yeah so i called we we used to we stayed at this little b&b in town twice and the lady that owned the place knows everybody in town so i called her up one day and i said do you know anybody that's got a place that we could rent for a month or so so we can come out there and stay and really approach this you know, systematically and have some time to do some thinking. And she said, I'll, I'll call you back. So she called me back. That was a Friday. She called me back on Monday. She goes, no, I don't. There's nobody that wants to rent it for that length of time. And she says, but I've got an idea. I said, what's that? She says, my son and I would really like to go out to California. And we really don't want to shut the place down. She says, what are you thinking of coming? And I said, we're flexible. She goes, well, if you come out at the end of October, you can stay at the inn for two and a half months. And I was just going, what? <laughs> and she goes, you don't have to run it as a B&B because we, we don't get any any people at that time of year. Yeah. So you just stay here and so we don't have to shut the place down and winterize it. And you just pay for the heat and we'll be fine. And I said, do you, do you have any idea how crazy that sounds? <laughs> I said, you, you've seen me twice. <laughs> and now you're offering my wife and I your home and your business <laughs> for a month or two and a half months. And she goes, yeah, I guess I am. She says, but I know you can cook. Because <laughs> I helped her out. She, they got really busy one day when we were out here. There was something that happened. And she... She was cooking like a mad person and just flying around the place. I said, do you need some help? She goes, do you know how to make hash browns? I said, yeah. She was making breakfast for like 23 people. So I took over the grill and made hash browns and sausage and this and that, and everything came out fine, and so I was a hero. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so we stayed in the place. And she said, you can run it or not. And I said, oh, hell, we'll run it. What, 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 What do we got to lose? She goes, oh, if you get four people here, I'll be surprised. We got 44. Oh. How the hell did that happen? I don't know. She doesn't know. It was just... But she, the deal she made when she was walking out the door, she goes, you know, 
if you get anybody here, um, we'll just split. We'll split the the, the till even. Yeah. You get half the money, I get half the money. So when we got done with that, not only did it cost me nothing to stay there for two and a half months, I made a couple G's. Yeah. I mean, it was just nuts. <laughs> and we found this house and we bought it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, right on. That was just one of the craziest things I've ever I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, uh, I feel like you're just full of those kinds of stories. Full <laughs> <laughs> of something. Yeah, well, yeah. But uh, I don't know, you just seem like the kind of guy who's always getting in adventures. You're always doing shit. Have you always been like that? I, you can spin a yarn. Uh, yeah, I can. My dad was a pretty good yarn spinner. Um, I, I guess it's, I've been a, I, <laughs> A pretty shy person, basically. Yeah, I don't believe that. Yeah, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of this is when I was little, I ha- I've worn these glasses, mm-hmm. which are ex- heavy correction glasses <laughs> since I was three that. years old. And I was little all my life until about my junior year in high school. I was unusually small so you got this little kid with coke bottle bottom glasses and everybody i mean i won't say i was bullied but it was pretty close to that because no nothing's more fun than picking on somebody you know especially somebody who can't fight back you know and and i found early on that you don't have to fight with you don't have to throw a punch but if you can embarrass them in front of their friends, <laughs> you have won a battle. Because, and, and I have, I have played that game all my life, and I guess that's what gives me my little sort of, ooh, <laughs> a mean little sense of humor. Yeah, you got an edge <laughs> to you. Yeah. Because um, it was my only defense. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't fight anybody. <laughs> I was get the crap knocked out. <laughs> But there's nothing more fun than watching some big doofus back up because his friends are laughing at him so hard because some little guy just blew him up. <laughs> and and I, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So, uh, what can I say? <laughs> uh, another thing I'm, I'm interested in, you, you've mentioned your, your North people. You are mm-hmm. of the cold. Mm-hmm. The hell's that about? I don't know anybody else I, like that. Um, it. I don't know. It's just uh, I don't like hot weather. Never did. Um, I actually got offered a job down in Harling, Harlingen, Texas, uh-uh. for a lot of money. And my wife said, "If you take that job, you'll be going by yourself because you are such a pain in the ass when it gets above <laughs> seventy." And so yeah, I, I've, I mean, we used to go to northern Minnesota for vacation in the winter, which is insane. Oh, it is. You insane. were the only ones. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I remember spending New Year's Eve on oh, I think it was Mitchell Lake, just outside of Ely, and my wife and I were standing in the middle of the lake at midnight, with cocktails in our hand, didn't need any ice, <laughs> staring up at a sky just blanketed with stars. 22 degrees below zero, and just, this is wonderful. <laughs> so, 
one of the reasons we came here, I looked at their uh, at their you know mean temperatures and and I saw that rarely gets above eighty. And I went, that's a plus. And then being on the coast, that drops it down to rarely gets over seventy five. Mm-hmm. And we've been here. This is our third summer here. And you don't need air conditioning. Um, it might be 80 during the day, but there's a breeze. And by 7 o'clock at night, all you have to do is open a window because mm-hmm. it's going to be 50 before morning. Mm-hmm. It's just perfect. Hey, Sig. Hi, Pop. Uh, also, you're, you seem to be... You, you vacation up in, in Minnesota. You, mm-hmm. would, you would go camping. You go mm-hmm. kayaking. You mm-hmm. seem like mm-hmm. a man of... Varied interests. Mm-hmm. What is it that's kind of turning your crank lately? What are you What are you doing that's that's keeping you? Um. Actually, lately, the involvement in two or three different groups because I'm I'm writing practice files for them. We're, we've got a I'm putting a show together in August that's going to be uh, primarily a. It's going to be kind of a, a combination of 40s, 50s, and 60s acapella, and I'm trying to put different groupings of people together to do things from McGuire Sisters and maybe for freshmen, maybe the uh, uh, Freddie Parrish and the Five Satins, and you know, just different types of music and you know, male quartet, female trio, different groupings, and that's what I'm involved with now and I gotta I gotta get busy yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and then the other thing is uh, I'm getting all the is that a tugboat? no that's a ship coming in oh, cool um, the other thing I'm working on is putting together a uh, uh, an old time radio show um, you're just a goofy idea I have. I'm a real fan of the old time gangster radio programs and the shadow and all that sort of stuff. And we've got a lot of people in this town um, that stay all year that are of an age that remember that stuff and like that stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like to do is, I mean, all, most of these scripts are public domain. And that we just have the fun of standing around an omnidirectional mic and doing these shows. And then maybe putting on performances, of maybe even moving that from a studio sort of setting to a stage setting. And, you know, once a week do a live radio show at the, at the art center. Mm-hmm. Um, just for everybody's fun, because in the winter there is nothing much going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is fine with me, but I think it'd be fun to do because yeah. um, scripts are, like I said, are easy to get. People are willing to do it. I, I've talked to a lot of people, and everybody's kind of, you know, jacked about the whole idea. Uh, I, I, I just think it'd be fun to direct the whole operation. Yeah. And, yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's what I. So the last question I've got for you, and mm-hmm. then I'm going to ask you. Something else. Um, <laughs> we'll, okay. we'll get to it. Um, what's the best concert you've ever seen? Wow. I know. 
boy, there's going to be a lot of dead air here. Because I got some thinking to there's do. There's editing. Um, the best concert I've ever seen. Boy, I don't know. I don't know that I can answer that. Any, how about the last great concert you saw? I mean, you, you got to say the Beatles concert in 66 was pretty big. Where was that? At uh, the amphitheater in Chicago. Cool. I didn't have a ticket. I, <laughs> I didn't have a ticket. I started a job, a, a brand new job on Wednesday, and asked the boss Thursday if I could have Friday off so I could go see the Beatles. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. His son played in a band with me, and he understood the, the gravity of the situation. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have fired me on the spot. Uh, and I went in there with no ticket, and I was hoping I, I, just maybe I could get a ticket. And as luck would have it, we were piling out of the car, and I was the only guy that didn't have one. And a guy comes walking up, and he's got two kids in tow. He says, anybody need a ticket? And I went, Yes. And he says, it's first row mezzanine. And I went, okay. I said, how much? And I was willing to just, I didn't care. Yeah. He goes, oh, guess how much it was? $5.75. It's not I can't say it's the best show because I didn't hear the first three songs for the screaming. The only way I could tell what songs they were is because you could hear the bass, barely hear the bass part. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that was a different that was a different gig. Um, God, I, um, I I don't know. All right, I don't know. Hey man, that Beatles I, answer I, was I've, good. I've, I spent. There was a place on the north side called the Kinetic Playground that we used to haunt all the time because they usually had three bands on Friday and three bands on Saturday. It cost you five bucks to get in. Standing room, no seats, just walk in. And on one night you would see, uh, well, one night was Buddy Rich's band, uh, Buddy Miles, and who else? I can't think of it. One night was Pacific Gas and Electric, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. One night was Frank Zappa and the Mother Mothers of Invention, um, Albert King and B.B. King. One, you know, I mean, it was just, oh my God, are you kidding me? Mm. Um, and that uh, the B.B. King show, we were driving home. And the guy on the radio said, oh, you guys who left the kinetic playground really made a mistake tonight. You should have stuck around. And we're going, oh, crap, what happened? Hendrix showed up. No. Yeah. And we're just going, oh. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I guess part of the problem of picking the best one is I, they're all really, really good to me. Hmm. Uh, one, of the, one of the most fun bands I've ever seen is Great Big C. Um, it's a band out of Newfoundland, and they're. I've, I've probably been listening to them for ten years, and they're. They don't rank in the top tier of you know great bands of the world, but by God, they do a fun show. Um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed. I've seen them about five times. Um, Nickel Creek is another band I've seen 
multiple, multiple times that I thought was absolutely flawlessly spectacular, just from a technical standpoint and wow, how good is that? Yeah. Um, but just for you know raw fun, God, there's lots of lots yeah. of good bands out there. I just knew I'd draw a good story out of you, yeah. a good story or two, and I did. I got yeah. the Beatles one. The Beatles one. one was a trip. Yeah, and my friend uh, Rich Wilkie um, got down on stage after the show and was trying to get the patch cord out, out of John Lennon's Vox Westminster. That was a Westminster. It was a Super Beetle. He was trying to get the cord out of the the power part and out of the out of the speaker part, and he was going to give it to me. It was going to be his present to me. That's nice of him. And he didn't know how to do it. (laughs) On Vox Plugs, you had to push this little blue button in and then pull the thing out. And he didn't know that. He thought it was just an RCA cord. He's pulling (laughs) out. Fucking rocking back and forth. And security comes up and goes, what are you doing? He goes, I'm tearing down for John. He goes, the hell you are. (laughs) And he had... I don't think he was cuffed, but he was let out uh, yeah. with help. <laughs> and I said, oh, you dummy, you just push that button down. <laughs> you brush with greatness. You yeah, yeah, John exactly. Thing. Exactly. So how do you feel about this, our uh, talk? Um, this was fun. I yeah? loved it. You yeah. feel good? Anything you want to talk about that we didn't cover? I, I don't know. No? You're the guy who's doing the interview. I know, but, you know, I've, <laughs> it's gotten to the point lately where I say, I, I say, well, thanks, and I wrap it up, and then I turn it off, and then people say, you know, I wanted to talk about this, and i got to go and, and turn it on again. You know, like you're a chump. Probably in about an hour, I'm going to go, oh, I know the best concert. <laughs> and it's a good could, thing you I'm could staying put that on, house. Yeah. You can put that on as an addendum. <laughs> Come and shake me awake at night. If you, <laughs> if well, by the up. way, his favorite concert was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We can end it there. Right on. All right. Well, thank you very much, Coach. My pleasure. Thank you. Fun talking to you.